When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Yes, indeed. Hello, everyone. I'm John Lund alongside Al Renato, a.k.a. the great Al from White Plains. And this is New Report, Old Report here on Monday, July 23rd, 2018 from 8 to 9 Eastern Time, live on Sports Radio America. If you missed the live show, you can catch the replay on Tuesday night, also at 8 p.m. Eastern, or find the show as bonus content under the Bridge Sports Podcast found on iTunes or at LondonBridge.com. This week, Tiger actually had a shot to win a major. The Dodgers land Manny Machado, the Spurs ship Kawhi Leonard to another country, and more. Check your sources. We're off. Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? We don't know. Well, Al, even though this is only our third episode of the new report, Old Report, we can say that this will be the first time we'll be leading off the show with golf. And fans probably can put two and two together and realize that must mean Tiger Woods was atop the leaderboard or at least close to it in the British Open, which ended up being the case on Sunday. Finally back in contention, finally getting people to run to their television screens and the Twitter sphere to give their comments about what he's doing and to hope that he can get another win under his belt. It has been a long time waiting. Immediate thoughts on Tiger at least being in contention, not necessarily having to win today, but being in the top having the lead at one point, what that means for viewers, what that means for the game of golf. Well, I guess, do, do I plead guilty? Because, you know, as not an avid golfer in any way, shape, or form, unless it has a windmill hole, number one, but somebody who's watched forever and, and being, you know, older than dirty as I am and going back to actually having watched Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicklaus literally in his prime uh, and, and being a, a Tiger and Phil fan, et cetera, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely positively glued this morning uh, and all early afternoon and rooting hard because he was right there. Uh, he actually had a chance to not had a chance. He took the lead. Um, you know, he took the lead at seven under, had a great save, uh, I believe, on 10 uh, where he got up and down and, and uh, curled one in from a six, seven feet to stay at seven under. And uh, then on a hole, he's birdied, uh, I think, Two prior rounds this week, he hit a bad tee shot, but a terrible second shot and an awful chip, and that resulted in double bogey that he never really recovered from. Uh, and his playing partner played great, Molinari. Uh, I don't believe he had a bogey all day, and outplayed him and, and got the win. But you know, look, he played really good golf from the beginning to the end. He went out in 34 in the final round of a major with a chance to win it. I think if Tiger Woods, I'm, I'm sure I'm in the minority, but I think if Tiger Woods can stay healthy, and that is huge, if he can stay healthy, I think he will win at least one, at least one, probably two more maybe. That's definitely the fingers crossed look for I'm sure a ton of people, and and as someone who's 28, 
you start watching golf and Tiger Woods is the guy for my generation. He's the person that makes you run to the television screen. He's the person that you probably put as your top golfer of all time just because he's the one that you actually got to watch play, though Nicholas, of course, has more accolades and is someone that Tiger will always catch. And he mentioned Arnold Palmer and what he was able to do. Still for our generation, it's something like we saw this guy play. We know what he's capable of. We got interested in golf because of him. And tons of people on the tour now probably say the same thing, that watching Tiger is a reason that they now play golf and now they get to go up against him. And many even say they want to go up against him when he's at least playing Tiger Woods golf because it will only make them better. And it was exciting to see glimpses of that. There, there were a couple hiccups toward the end of today's round. A double bogey and a bogey almost put him basically out of contention. He probably would have had to get an eagle on the hole following that on a par five for any chance of, of getting a shot to win this whole thing. And that was almost something that plagued him this whole tournament was those last nine holes, what was going to happen on each day, even though he didn't get the best draw on the days. If you look at what the other golfers were doing that were playing with him in the whole tournament, they didn't actually fare that well either. But again, something reassuring to see. And as you mentioned, you hope that he stays healthy because at least for now, just having him be there on Sunday I think is more than enough for golf fans. I think eventually we're going to get to the point, though, where it's going to wear off to we're going to expect him to finally win one. And we're going to get greedy with that as fans because we've seen him do it. We forget about what he's overcome and where he is. And just being in the top of the leaderboard is something to be proud of if you're Tiger Woods. But for now, I think we're okay. And as we saw, we'll see the numbers from it. Today is going to be something that I'm sure television networks are happy about, radio programs are happy about, even this show can be happy about because Tiger is back with maybe not the C attached to it. B-A-K, we'll say. Not fully back, but we're getting there. Look, you, you want to see him playing important golf, relevant golf, on a Sunday in the red and black. If you get that, golf is dancing in the aisles. He doesn't even have to win. If he's in contention, it brings eyes to the screen because, or the phone or whatever you're watching it on because he's in the hunt. And that's all it takes because everybody wants to see when is he going to win. If he's, if he's in the hunt, then you're not going to turn it off. You're not going to turn it off when he's tied with three, run, three holes to play. Say, oh, no, he's got no shot. You're not going to turn it off if he's down one with two holes to play. Say, he's got no shot. You're absolutely positive you're going to watch it because you want to see it. You want to be there to see him win that next one. What's interesting, if you're a fan of Molinari or if you're him in general, he played incredibly well. And he's actually been playing very well in general and was able to put all that together to win this Open. But unfortunately for him, he's not necessarily the big talking point of the day and what will be making the news and what people will be focusing on. The first part is going to be Tiger. Well, now wait we'll just a him. second. Now, now, wait a second, young man. He became today the first Italian to win a major. Come yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. That okay. is life-changing. Like I said, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> that that, that we'll is life-changing. Somebody said statement on Twitter for, today... Statement, statement for a nation. A groundbreaker. There was Come a on. tweet. Does this make up for Italy not qualifying for the World Cup? That all of Italy can rally around him today for at least being the first Italian to win the British Open? So they do have that. That's not, that's not a lie, but 
I and, think and to start shows, it's going to be Tiger, and then, oh, yeah, let's actually talk about the guy who won type thing. Remember, though, Johnny, he has been playing terrific golf. He won Tiger's tournament a right. few weeks back. That's true. So we're not talking about a guy who just came up, showed up out of nowhere. He's been one of the best golfers in the world this year. And today he played fabulous. I, I think, it, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he, it was a bogey-free uh, bogey round, I do believe. I believe so, too. And if not maybe one, but he was putting together quite the string and, and he never really let up. And what's even better is look who he's playing against. Yeah. <laughs> the guy look, everybody is watching. Well, he's, he's probably thinking, uh, Hey, I'm here too. Well, I, I, I think it almost makes, I'm not going to say, I, I take that. Back. I have no idea. Never being in that kind of spot, having never been, never will be, but you, you almost wonder, does it make it easier? Because all eyes are on Tiger Woods. And you're thinking, you know, everybody's watching him. There's no pressure on me here at all. I've, I've won. I, I won his tournament a few weeks ago. Everybody's focusing in on him. I, I just got to keep on doing what I'm doing. I'm going to be fine and not worry about anything. And you wonder if that's what might be going through his mind. Because, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say I have any idea what goes through the mind of a world class athlete, whether it's a golfer, an NBA player, an MLB player, an NFL player, an NHL player. I have no idea. I, I played at the incredibly mediocre high school level, and that was it. I know it went through my mind, right? uh, but I couldn't begin to imagine what's going through their minds. But he was tremendous today. Tiger was really good. It just it, it wasn't good enough. One bad hole was his undoing, uh, but I thought he played really well. Um, you know, but there's, there's so many great golfers out there and he got outplayed by his playing partner. So be it. Hopefully down the line, we're going to see more opportunities for him to be in the same spot in a major and, uh, and see if he can bring one or two more home. Cause it obviously be great for the game. It's great for sports. What's also interesting about the golfer's mindset, specifically even playing against Tiger. And as you mentioned, I can't either speak about mindsets of golfers myself either. As somebody that's played maybe 10 times total in life, I don't really know what it's like to go up against somebody, especially when a tournament title is on the line. But it might be interesting to talk to golfers, and I'm sure this will be a discussion as well with them. If you're going up against Tiger today on a Sunday, you might not have the same mindset or even the same fear that you would have had if this tournament was happening 10 years ago and you have seen prime Tiger Woods. At this point, you could look at him and go, hey, this guy hasn't won in X amount of years. I'm just going to keep playing my game. And to do that, I'll be able to beat him. Whereas eight years ago, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, you're thinking, oh, no, this is Tiger Woods. And that might affect how you play golf. I don't necessarily know if the golfers have that same fear in them, at least the majority of them, just because of Tiger not having won in X amount of years. Perhaps they well, view it differently than they would 10 years back. Re re remember, Sundays were his days. He was undefeated with the lead in the final round and then came the PGA, and I believe it was about 10 years ago, uh, when he lost that duel. And ever since then, uh, you know, he's been humanized. Once he got knocked off the perch, once he lost that final round lead, uh, he was no longer undefeated on Sundays. 
sell. It knocked him down at least a peg. Uh, obviously, he won after that, but uh, you know he was no longer unbeatable on Sunday. So I think you know, once that happens, uh, again, not putting being able to think what they think, but you've got to believe that everybody will look at him differently because, well, if, if, if he can be beat, plain and simple, uh, you know it happened, and you know it happened again today. Although he didn't go into the round with the lead, but he did have the lead at one point in time for a very short amount of time. So to cap this, as you had mentioned, you believe that as long as he's there on Sunday, at least in the foreseeable future, that's good enough right now for the game of golf. We don't need to necessarily see him win something yet. Well, when you say foreseeable future, do you mean the next six months, eight months, year, two years? You know, How long are we going to go before you need him to win? I, I think if if he's in the hunt on Sundays in majors, okay, for the next year and a half, two years, it's great for golf. Then it's going to be all right. Now he's got to get a Duke here. We can switch now. Usually I guess shows would probably switch into the NBA, but I'd like to switch into baseball since you and I might enjoy talking about that a little bit more since we've already hit on the NBA on this show and driven that into the ground. Though we will get into a couple talking points that have happened since we last spoke. But I wanted to switch to baseball and switch to your favorite team, the St. Louis Cardinals, and at least mention what they just recently did at the manager position and firing Matheny. Not something that we usually see the Cardinals do in firing managers. I, I don't remember the exact date it was. I think it goes all the way back to Joe Torre in 95, the last time they actually let a manager go, aside from having them retire or move on. It, was that a good decision for them to do this midseason and, and to do something that they're not necessarily used to doing, at least as a franchise? Number one, you're correct. It was Joe Torre. Um, that was the last manager that was fired. Uh, then came Tony LaRusso, who, of course, retired. Look, this was not all Mike Matheny's fault. But it was time for a change. Matheny had lost the clubhouse uh, with what happened with the Dexter Fowler situation, uh, the issue over Jordan Hicks and, um, you know, Bud Norris. The, I don't want to call it a hazing. And I'm still not even quite sure what's been going on uh, in that regard. But those issues and people forget Mike Matheny has been in us since 2011 and they've gone backwards the last three years and are in the process of continuing to go that way. Um, it's partially Mike Matheny. Uh, I wanted him to go. I even more so wanted John Mabry and Bill Muller, the hitting and assistant hitting coaches, to go because I thought they had done a brutal job with this offense that continues to underachieve with a terrible approach. Um, you know, bottom of the Major League Baseball in terms of uh, extra base hits, uh, only home runs and singles, no extra base hits. Uh, they were on pace to set the franchise record for the fourth year in a row in terms of strikeouts. Uh, I know everybody's striking out more, but you can't be setting franchise records year after year after year after year when you are not you know, hitting bombs to replace them, and extra base hits to replace them, which they were not. Underachieving uh, by Azuna, awful year from Fowler, awful year from Wong. Um, just guys going backwards instead of making progress with respect to the young players and veteran players. Uh, Matheny, terrible strategist, terrible with the bullpen. Not all his fault. A lot of it lies at the feet of John Mazeliak, who, as you know, has been the general manager and bumped himself up uh, 
to president of baseball operations, but Mike Gilch in charge of the general manager position, uh, Mazzalek has made a series of awful moves, some of which, you know, you thought were good at the time, which I thought were good at the time, which have not turned out. The Dexter Fowler signing has been, at least this year, a total nightmare. Holland, uh, an abortion. Uh, Brett Cecil, four years, $30 million, a complete waste of money. Luke Gregerson, two years, $11 million off. He traded Marco Gonzalez, a number one pick, um, a few years back, a left-hander, which you know our left-handers are gold in Major League Baseball, coming off of Tommy John in the process of recovery. He traded him to Seattle for nothing. And a Class A outfielder, not even a top prospect. Marco Gonzalez has got 10 wins and ERA of 3-2 and change. And his strikeout-to-walk ratio is 4-1. to one. He has been a huge factor in Seattle's uh, run for a wild card. He gave him up for absolutely nothing. You know, he traded Matt Adams you know, for a bag of balls last year to create roster space for Johnny Peralta. He has made a series of moves in the last three to four years that have been absolutely positively awful that has buried this franchise. The decision you know, to go with Jose Martinez at first base, who is a wonderful offensive player, he can just rake, but he doesn't belong with a glove on his hand. He's an American League player. It's hurt them so dramatically in terms of their defense, uh, where they lead the major league in errors. Um, you know, the decision to go with Paul DeYoung at shortstop versus going out and getting a full-blown major league shortstop has hurt them dramatically. Paul DeYoung makes error after error. And, you know, he's not a shortstop. He's made progress, but he's not a shortstop. They have to figure out what they need to do to shore this team up defensively, and that's not Mike Matheny's fault. It is a personnel issue. And if the general manager uh, doesn't get it squared away, he should be absolutely positively the next one to go. But the Matheny firing had to happen. And better now than in the offseason because they want to give um, they want to give uh, the interim manager a chance because uh, he has been the guy who's managed at the lower levels, has been successful, he's been the bench coach, and this gives them an idea of you know, what he can do uh, in the position with the big squad, because you know, the players seem to like him, and he's got a rapport with them, has had a rapport with them throughout the minor leagues. As I said, he's won a couple championships at the minor league level, and he's been the bench coach for the last couple of years, so now let's see what he can do uh, on the major league level, I don't know if they're going to be buyers or sellers at the deadline and if Masiliak and um, his GM are going to do anything to give Shield a chance right, uh, to make this team competitive because they cannot compete for a wild card as they currently exist because their defense will never be good enough and they do not have anything other than Matt Carpenter from the left side of the plate to compete. And their bullpen's been hideous. Those are three things that are be very difficult to fix. Uh, even though they're only four games out of the wild card, uh, those things have to be fixed if they want to compete down the stretch. And I don't know if uh, the front office is going to be willing to make the moves to do it. We'll see. I had a feeling you'd want to talk about that. So that's why I, I let <laughs> off with that first. Hey, uh, Carpenter's putting together quite the show the past week, though. There's that. Or I should say the past eight games. Six home runs in eight games, or seven home runs in it's eight been, games. It's, it's been a it, it it's been an unbelievable uh, ten days or so for Carpenter, and um, you know I've never been a huge. I, I was a Carpenter fan when he was an All Star second baseman 
and spraying the ball from line to line, I became a very, very heavy Carpenter critic the last three years when he decided to change uh, the swing plane and try and hit home runs and pull everything. And because of injury issues and the emergence, at least I should say the excellence of Colton Wong defensively, uh, it pushed Carpenter around the field. And you know, the problem is he's really not a good defender anywhere you put him. Um, his, his best position is probably second base, but he's a mediocre second, second baseman. He's a lousy third baseman, and he's at best a mediocre first baseman. So if he's going to return to the Matt Carpenter of you know, spraying the ball over the field and being a doubles machine you know, with home runs mixed in there, then you put him at first base and you leave him alone. And then you fix the left side. Whether or not they can fix the left side remains to be seen. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report, here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. To stick in the National League, the Dodgers are currently one game up in the NL West over the Rockies and one and a half games up over the Diamondbacks, something that they've had to fight and claw for after not getting off to the greatest of starts to open the season. Losing Kershaw didn't help with that, but they made news recently by being able to acquire Manny Machado, who was being sought by, we heard, the Phillies. Nobody knew if the Yankees were going to make a play on him. For the Dodgers, they lose Kyle Seager, but then they just throw Manny Machado at shortstop, almost video game-esque to be able to replace somebody like that and then get him for nobody that I can name offhand. We can put it that way. It's not like a big name was in this trade. It was, it was something that hopefully will benefit the Orioles long-term, but not anything that I'm excited about sitting here. Manny has been all right so far with the Dodgers, and I'm sure there's going to be a transition both at shortstop, though he's an incredible fielder. It probably won't take too long, but a little. And then also figuring out the National League, figuring out the pitching, and, and getting used to those ballparks. I thought it was a great move for a team that came very close to a World Series berth last year and something that can only help, and it was something that didn't necessarily hurt them in the process as well. I, I don't see any reason why they're not going to win the AL West and make it quite the run in the playoffs. Not to say that one player helps or hurts your cause, but I think in the case of Manny Machado, it, it's something that will definitely be perhaps a decider when it comes to one or two games that they'll have to win in the postseason. I, I couldn't agree with you more because uh, this is addition by addition and addition by subtraction. They get him. Arizona doesn't, uh, which is huge. He fills a, a big void and allows them to take a couple of their do-everything guys in uh, Taylor and Hernandez and send them back all over the diamond. Have them play a little second, have them play a little third, have them play a little left, play a little short. Um, if Manny moves over to play some third because uh, he went down today with a little groin issue. So now the question because will Manny go over to third? Um, in lieu of Max Muncy, who played third base last night and made a game-losing error on a routine ground ball. So uh, Manny may slide over to third base, but the bottom line is they got a boom. They got the best player. My son and I, who was uh, graduated uh, this past uh, month, 
and is a huge baseball fan and going to be playing, I'm proud to say, at the next level, went through the list last night, excuse me, two nights ago, and we had Manny uh, in the five, six, seven range with two other players. And I'm going to ask you what you think of that in terms of the top players in the game. Uh, One, obviously, Trout, and then we agreed with Altuve, two. We had Mookie Betts, three. Uh, we had Lindor four, and then we threw a dish rag, washcloth, tissue, whatever you want to call it, over Manny, um, Arenado, and uh, the who everything Indians third baseman, second baseman uh, Ramirez in the five, six, seven slot. So you got a terrific player. You got a player who has got a chance to win. So he's excited. You filled a huge void in your lineup uh, with the loss uh, of Seager, uh, a middle-of-the-order bat, and it, it's simply a win-win. You gave up a good young prospect in the Diaz kid, who I do know about, who had a couple home runs in the um, Futures game. That's really the main guy they gave up. You know, one of the other guys is a former Cardinal infielder who's a little uh, left-handed hitting infielder who is nothing more than a utility player. And, you know, a couple other decent prospects. The big guy they gave up was the Diaz kid. And, you know, this definitely makes them the front runner in the West. And depending on what happens in terms of what else they do with the deadline to shore up their bullpen and maybe find another starter, uh, it could make them the favorite in the National League because, you know, everybody in the National League has issues. You know, the Braves bullpen as they fight for the East. Um, You know, the Phillies got some holes in their lineup and they were also looking heavily at Machado. That's another addition by subtraction scenario. They didn't get him. Um, And then obviously, you know, you get him, and Arizona does not. Uh, The Cubs pitching, what are they going to do? Their pitching has been very suspect from both the starting scenario and they've lost Morrow for, we'll see how long. So who's going to close for them? Uh, The Dodgers made a great move. We'll see if they have anything else up their sleeve. But right now, if you ask me, who am I picking to come out of the National League uh, with the deadline still upon us? Right now, I'm picking the Dodgers. We'll see what everybody else does uh, as we go towards the next eight days and July 31st hits us. I like where that ranking is, five, six, seven, along those lines. What's interesting about Manny this season is because the Orioles have been so bad, He's almost flown under the radar as somebody that is still making noise. He leaves the Orioles batting 315, and he's, he's now batting 375 with the Dodgers, which doesn't really mean too much in two games, but it's not like he wasn't doing anything productive, though the Orioles haven't been the most productive. It, it, you're assuming for the rest of the season he'll continue what he's done in years past, and for people that might not know, his average isn't necessarily going to knock your socks off. He did have a down year in 2017, hitting 259. But before that, it's 294, 286, 278. And who knows what factors into how that's going to improve in the National League. But you're- and remember, Johnny, last year, uh, those numbers were a result of an absolute moribund. For, he hit an awful first half of the season. Right. He had a huge second half. He was on fire the entire second half of the season to get those numbers up. He was, you know, 210, 215, 220, the first third to first half of last season. 
uh, and really caught fire for the entire second half. Um, and the other aspect of it for me, that which is really going to go unnoticed because he was manager here last year, uh, is the job that Dave Roberts has done because there were an awful lot of people, uh, including me, who really kind of had the Dodgers dead and bare the first third of the season. Uh, with Arizona, I, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the Dodgers were very close to being double digits behind in games. I know they were at least eight games behind at one point, uh, you know, with about a quarter to a third of the season in. And, you know, they righted the ship. And remember, as you said, this was with pretty much without Kershaw uh, the entire first half, just had it for heartbeat. And the, the debut and, and no Seeger, the savior, and, and, a, and a really incredibly slow start by Bellinger, who was the savior? Kemp, of all people. A guy nobody wanted, a salary dump, a guy who was a cancer in the clubhouse, who was an MVP candidate, and playing at, at two more home runs today, by the way. A, a, a absolutely positively first-class MVP candidate, Matt Kemp. Oh, and they're going to add Yasiel Puig eventually as well, coming back from an injury. So... I, I think they're okay. Now they have another batter who you would fear in a postseason game. Manny Machado comes up to the plate, especially looking to prove himself in a postseason game. Not like we need that, but he'll probably be like, it, it's great to be here on the big stage. Let me show you what I can do. Adding him to Justin Turner. We saw what Cody Bellinger can do breaking onto the scene. You mentioned Kemp. They're, they're going to have a lineup that's feared. And if Max Muncy can, can work around whatever problems he might have – it's it's going to be a feared lineup. Come well, it's a versatile lineup healthy. too because they do damage from both sides of the plate. Um, you know, with Bellinger from the left side, Muncy from the left side, uh, they have versatility. They have depth. They have an excellent bench. They're going to be getting a couple guys back uh, to help their bullpen. The real question is, what are they going to do uh, as we hit the deadline? Are they going to make another move to get another arm? That's really the big question for me. Are they going to look to find another starter? Because, um, you know, you really would have to put a, a package together. I mean, an impact starter. I, I don't mean, right. ha, you know, a, a, you know, a, a J.A. Happ. Okay. Uh, Chris Archer right now has just fallen just off the map. He's been terrible. So, uh, you know, you go out and put a package together uh, for Snellkin in Tampa. Because you have, you have enough to do it. Uh, do the Yankees do that? Which I think leads us to our next question. Uh, the Yankees are about as far as they've been behind the Red Sox, uh, with the exception of the early, early hot, hot start of the Red Sox. What are the Yankees going to do? Because you know the fear of all Yankee fans. The fear of all Yankee fans is that wild card game. Okay, am I going to be stuck in that wild card game where I have a one-and-done scenario, and then if I win, my best starter is gone. And Are they going to make that move for that second big-time starter behind Severino that they simply do not have right now all right, to get them into a situation where they can take a run at the Red Sox, whose starting pitching is, is clearly better right now? Right. It's a terrifying feeling as a Yankees fan to have to play in that wild-card game and it's not an unfamiliar feeling for Yankees fans, fortunately and unfortunately, depending on how you look at it. That game is, is terrifying because 
you know as well as anyone, and any baseball fan will tell you this, of all the sports that have the one-game playoff to get in, baseball to me is the one that's the worst to have that decide a season after 162, hoping that the pitcher that you've relied on can give you one more game. And then as you mentioned, now he's out for well into the next series, and you have to hope that the other guys can step up. It's been interesting, is the, the Yankees' rotation, that is, based on having CC Sabathia well into his career as the guy that you can go to to put out the fire, in a sense. When he's on the mound after a loss, there's still nobody better that you would want on there. But you also have Masahiro Tanaka, who you would expect to also be that, though his, his ERA hasn't been great and he's also battled injuries. They've been able to weather that storm just because of their offense. We're seeing these high-scoring games, but they're winning. We even saw it against the Mets. You're giving up seven runs, six runs, five runs. Though their offense is so potent, it's hard to win those games, especially down the stretch. Though they do have a stat that I saw. It's either 53 or 58. 53 or 58 and 0 when leading after eight innings, the Yankees are this season, which I find unbelievable. And that almost came... It almost, came, it almost came. It almost came. It almost came to a crashing end yesterday uh, against the Mets of all people. But uh, the bullpen is loaded. The bullpen is, is just about as good a bullpen, if not the best bullpen in baseball, because of the depth and and look also the experience. You know, an experienced bullpen is incredibly important. You know, being there, knowing what it's like to have to deal with that final inning, you know, with elimination hanging over your head. Uh, I think it makes a huge amount of difference. And meanwhile, you know, on the other end of it, as good as Boston's starting rotation is, as good as their closer is, we know that their closer has had problems in the postseason, uh, whereas the Yankee bullpen has been lights out. And I think that that is not an issue for the Yankees. The issue is, are they going to go out and look to get themselves a big-time number two, 1A, behind Severino? Uh, because it's going to take... You know, and if Justice Sheffield's not going to be in the package, it's not going to happen. Um, but are they going to be willing to give up uh, some real prize prospects, of which they have many, to supplement this staff, uh, this starting staff? Because if you're going to go into the postseason with, you know, a number two starter of, you know, choose from old folks, CC Sabathia, or uh, the oft injured but, you know, gritty, gutty Tanaka, who was terrific for your team. Uh, in the postseason last year, and he was. He was brilliant against Houston um, and brilliant against Cleveland. So the question is, are you going to be willing to make that kind of move? And is it doable? You know, there, there's two there's two guys who have to agree to a trade. You know, it's not a question of what you're going to offer. It's a question of am I going to take it. And you know, if it's Blake Snell, for instance, is Tampa going to be willing to make a deal, you know, for a kid who was an all-star and having an absolutely fabulous season? Um, that's the kind of deal that, you know, usually Tampa makes, but this kid is really, really young, really, really good and controllable for a long time. So, you know, if I'm them, you have got to knock me out with an offer and is Brian Cashman willing to do it? We'll see. It's very interesting because on the one hand, everyone has been talking about the starting pitching. And as we mentioned, their need to get a 1A to go along with Severino 
And then there's also the rumors that they're interested in Orioles closer Zach Britton, who would be another lefty in the, the swarm of the seven, eighth, and ninth guys for the Yankees. And you're basically making a game five innings for your third, fourth, and fifth starters in your rotation, in a sense. And the interesting part of that is we have seen Yankees more inexperienced pitchers not be awful for five innings. And that's unfortunate to say because you would think in Major League Baseball you'd be able to not be awful in five innings. But we just saw this happen recently with a pitcher that doesn't do well in the first inning getting demoted for Sessa now because for whatever reason, I don't know if it was in his head or not, awful in the first inning, great for the next six. Well, that's unfortunately not going to be something that you can hang your cap on. I don't even know what type of names that they'd like to go out for for starting pitching. We keep hearing DeGrom, but I can't see the Mets wanting to trade him to New York and also getting what they would want in return from the Yankees. I will be very simple. I will simply tell you this. You know I love to talk. You know I think that my opinion is second to none. So if the Mets trade DeGrom to the Yankees, you can find another partner. Right. That's how much I think that's never going to happen. Met fans just, you can't do it. Syndergaard, okay, you can't trade DeGrom. You can't trade him to, you can't trade DeGrom to the Yankees. You just can't do it. You can't do it. I agree. I agree. But we just saw them get rid of Familia for a couple sandwiches and a bag of baseballs. So you never know what that ownership is, is capable of. I, I a hundred percent agree though, that I don't see that happening. And I, I can't see the Yankees giving up who they would most likely want in return because they do have the prospects. It's just a matter of what ones are you going to pluck to give away? And I don't know if they have feelers in mind for that, if they're going to go into their pitching staffs for that, I would think they would be more focused on position players than they would pitchers, especially when getting one in return. But as you mentioned, we are waiting for Sheffield to get up here and, and see what he can do. We're waiting to see if somebody else can get called up from AAA and see what they can do as a fifth starter. But it's definitely their biggest void, at least to me, the starting pitching. Because position player-wise, you have enough to plug and play. And they've been fortunate enough, for example, Greg Bird, to leave him out there and get through some struggles he was having earlier in the season. Hopefully he's slowly turning a corner on that. He's never really had an opportunity to just bang out a season and, and grind through a season because of his injuries. They've been fortunate enough to sort of let that play out because they're where they stand in the American League and, and haven't been doing too poorly. But do we see the Red Sox slowing down? They just gained a game yesterday, and, and it was like this end-of-the-world type thing. I didn't expect it to happen for the rest of the season, the way that they've been playing. And you also wonder, uh, you know, with, again, a, a week to go in the deadline, are the Red Sox going to do anything? Are they going to go out and look to fill that uh, Dustin Pedroia hole at second base? Uh, especially now Brock Holt went down the other day. Uh, Nunez is really not a guy you want there on a full-time basis, so uh, don't be surprised. I, I know, I believe they went out and got, uh, I believe Phillips. I'm not sure if he's up with the big club yet, but I know they went, and got, went out and got Phillips. Uh, to me, the perfect fit for them is to put a little package together for Whit Merrifield in Kansas City, who's a player that I absolutely love. Uh, he can play three, four different positions. He can play second. He can play third. He can play center field. But second base is his spot. Love to see him in St. Louis, just as a footnote. But he is a guy who's uh, sound defensively. 
and an excellent right-handed bat, a foul line to foul line uh, hitter, excellent base runner, threat on the bases. You know, this guy's a, a, a real big-time major league player in his prime who you can hit anywhere in the order and would be a perfect fit for the Red Sox if they want to do that, but they have to give up something from a farm system that's been trained a bit, uh, especially, you know, with the Chris Sale deal of last year. So I think what Merrifield is going to be on the move. Uh, question is, where is he going to go? I think it'd be a perfect fit for the Red Sox. I cannot see them going forward uh, without doing something to fill that hole they've got at second base. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. There is still plenty of time for at least the American League East to switch between the Red Sox and the Yankees. It wouldn't be the first time, unfortunately, for Boston fans that they've seen the Red Sox maybe falter in late August or September and lose a division race. It seems like the Indians are going to be okay in the AL Central, and it seems like the Astros will be okay in the AL West to hold off the Mariners or falling farther and farther the Athletics. But they were still well. Let's a let's remember we kind of we, we really haven't touched on the Indians, and the Indians made a terrific deal to bring in two relievers from San Diego, right. you know, to fix a bullpen that has been their strength over the last few years. And I don't want to sit here and, and, and cast dispersions upon a, a, a terrific manager. But, you know, I still believe that, uh, and, you know, you, you got the gun, you fire it. But I still believe that um, Terry Francona overused uh, his great left-hander two years ago, and I don't think Miller has been the same since. Uh, he hasn't been as effective when he's been healthy, and he hasn't been nearly as healthy. I really think he ran him uh, really as far as he could go, and pushed him when the tank was on empty. And you saw uh, down the stretch uh, in the World Series, he wasn't as effective against the Cubs. Last year, he wasn't as effective in the postseason. This year, he's been hurt a good chunk of the year. The rest of that bullpen has fallen apart. Uh, they lost Shaw. Allen's been in free agency. Allen has been awful. And they went out and made uh, a deal with San Diego to get Brad Hand uh, and the right-handed reliever uh, to help deepen that bullpen. And we'll see where that's going to put them in the postseason. Because remember, Corey Kluber is struggling the postseason, their best pitcher. Uh, and last but not least, as we finish up with the American League in terms of what's going to be done before the deadline. And remember, you know, the deadline is just the deadline where you have to clear waivers. So you can still go till the end of August. What are, what are the defending champions going to do? Are they going to do something to address that? bullpen uh because you know ken hundred mile giles has fallen apart been sent to the minors and you know who is going to close for them uh you know it's tough to go back to the postseason uh thinking that you know i can take one of my starters and make them a closer again like they got away with last year uh and manage to pull that rabbit out of the hat in the postseason, whether it was McCullers, whether it was Morton, etc., and they dodged that bullet of not having the closure in one of World Series in seven games after winning an ALCS in seven games with really no closer of record. I can't foresee the postseason not coming down to the bullpens. We have these 
five to six great offenses for some of the top teams in each division, but I think it would behoove most of them to try and get that bullpen just a little bit stronger than it was last season or just a little bit stronger than it is up to this point because when the postseason rolls around, you never know what's going to happen with your starting pitching. You never know when an injury is going to come or if a guy just doesn't have it. And if you have to go to the bullpen early, especially early in a series, that can completely change the outlook of the next couple of games, especially in the division series. So it's, it's definitely something that it would be the best interest for, say, the Astros, the Red Sox, the Yankees, even the Dodgers to look yeah, don't, into don't their be bullpen. Surprised. Don't be surprised, Johnny. I don't mean to hearken back to my club continually. But you know, if the Cardinals continue to go you know, one step forward, one step back, which is probably the case because they're not very good, and they don't make moves to put themselves into a position to, to make a run at the second wild card, Bud Norris, if he continues to pitch well, who obviously was only on a one-year deal, look for him to obviously get moved. Be a good setup guy for uh, Jansen in Los Angeles. He would certainly help the Astros. Um, you know, he would. Uh, the Cardinals would never deal him to the Cubs, but he would certainly help any club the way he's pitched this year. His arm's pretty fresh. He hasn't been overused. Um, now that Matheny's gone. Uh, he won't be overused <laughs> because, uh, unfortunately, Matheny had a tendency to wear his guys out. So I think that uh, he will be a viable option for a lot of these teams looking to strengthen their bullpen down the stretch because he's had a pretty sound year for the Cardinals. Well, we can appease the NBA fans to close out the show at least and hit on, I guess, the biggest topic and talking point that has happened since our last show and the biggest news note, which was, Kawhi Leonard getting traded from the Spurs to the Toronto Raptors for DeMar DeRozan. Cash was involved, other players, but those are the two big names that switch teams. We heard that both of them were unhappy to switch teams. Interesting, at least on DeRozan's side, that he wasn't pleased to go and play for Greg Popovich. I think it was more that supposedly the general manager and the team had told him that he was safe, and then days later that proved untrue. Kawhi wasn't happy with the Spurs, so they shipped him off to a different country is a great joke that's been being made on Twitter all week as well. Is this going to matter for either team? Are they going to be better? Are they going to be worse with this addition? Or are we just looking at, at least for Kawhi's purposes, getting to the end of the season, making him a free agent, and then we could really focus on who is going to be better by having him on their team? Well, let, let me take it from the, from the end of it that I know. Right? I know and firmly believe that the Spurs made a tremendous because the Spurs traded a guy who didn't want to be there, who is on the last year of his contract, who basically has said, uh, I don't want to be here. Uh, you don't need, and on top of that, you don't even know if he's healthy. Right. And what did they get for him? They got an all-star player who is signed and under their control and will be on their team as a quality player for the next three years. So I don't know how that's not a huge win. You see what happens when you go along with these guys in this sport or other sports, Manny Machado, and you wait. Right? They didn't wait. They pulled the trigger. They got him out of their conference, and they got an all-star, not caliber player, an all-star player who signed and theirs in return 
to be their 1A guy, so to speak, okay, a- along with their big forward, who was really, uh, after a postseason struggle last year, coming off a terrific year and, you know, will help fit in as to you know, the, the base of that franchise for the next few years. For a guy they, for a guy who just said, I, I, I don't want to be here. I mean, could he, could he made it any more obvious between not wanting to play because of the injury uh, and the fact that his contract is up? Now, what does it do for Toronto? I haven't got a clue. I don't have a clue. You've gotten rid of one of your best players who curled up in a ball in the postseason against Cleveland, and you've brought in a, if healthy and happy, top five player. But as well as he plays, he could be gone. As well as he plays, if he plays and he's healthy, he can walk on. So what can it do for Toronto at best for Toronto? It can put right put them right back where they were this past year, the number one seed in the East. It is surprising that looking back, and we won't know whether or not this would have made a difference, but it is surprising to think at this moment last year, or even when the Raptors were, as you mentioned, choking to LeBron, not being able to think, if they run this back, same team, same coach, and LeBron is gone next year, why can't they make it to the finals? This is the only thing that's gotten in their way, LeBron James. Let's just see if they can do it. Instead, they get rid of Dwayne Casey, coach of the year, not posthumously, but post getting fired from the Raptors. They get rid of DeMar DeRozan, a beloved player by the franchise fans, and somebody that can have his games, can take over games, can disappear in in some big moments, specifically against LeBron James, as we've seen, but somebody that is still a beloved fixture of that franchise, compliments Lowry quite well. Shaking all that up and getting Kawhi Leonard, as you mentioned, somebody that might not even want to stay. Now, what's interesting for Kawhi is he can easily be the guy in Toronto. Toronto is a huge city, as we know. Toronto loves its basketball, even though they're concerned about hockey as well. They, they still come out and support their team. He can be the guy, and he wasn't the guy when he won the NBA Finals MVP when he was with the Spurs because he was still young, and, and we still can rattle off Tony Parker, Duncan, Ginobili. They were still all fresh in everyone's minds, obviously. He made a name for himself then and can do so in Toronto. I'm not sure being the guy on a team for – I don't know if there's any comparison as opposed to the Spurs and the Raptors, but he, he would be the guy in Toronto, not to say he wasn't when he was with the Spurs at least – two seasons ago. Will that be enough to keep him? From what he's led us to believe, no. I think that he has his sights set on L.A., but if, if things go well in Toronto and if he looks at the Lakers this season and they don't match whatever expectations he has them at for 2018-2019, maybe he does stay. But I think this is a one-year rental. That's what I have been led to believe up to this point, and I don't see anything changing that at least today. It's a one-year rental. We'll see where he goes after. Once he does leave, though, if he does, what's now Toronto going to do? Losing both DeRozan, Kawhi, Dwayne Casey, et cetera, to that point. It, it, it doesn't have a great future like it at least does with the Spurs, having DeRozan for a couple more seasons. Well, the other aspect of it is, if he plays very, very well, uh, and they go to a conference final against the Celtics. Uh, does it entice him to stay back, to, to, to come back? Uh, 
if he plays very, very well and is at the top of his game mid-season, the fact that he's going to be a free agent, do you now put him in that package? That's true, too. Okay, and does it become, once healthy, a viable trade commodity for you? Of course he does. You know, um, you know th- th- then the question becomes, you know, wh- who's going to make a big offer for him for a half a season, knowing that he can walk? Uh, it-, it will be very intriguing to see what comes of him because that's why I said I'm going to start with San Antonio because that's the one thing that I think at least I know. I know that DeMar DeRozan is healthy and signed and a good player. All right. I know nothing right now about Kawhi Leonard except for the fact that when he's healthy, he is an MVP candidate. But I don't know if he's healthy. I don't know if he wants to play. I don't know. You know what, what else can you say? How, how, how can you get in his head? You can't. You can't. I, I have no idea where he's at. I have no idea what he wants to do. I have no idea how he feels it. So it's a totally wild, a total wild kind of situation for me with Kawhi Leonard. Right? That's why it's so intriguing. Golf, baseball, and the association all in one show. Notably absent football, but that's coming. And that'll be carrying us for several months, as it does with many sports radio shows. But we still got but some this, more fun but, to but, have. In but the this show is going to make a promise. I'm going to make it on behalf of you. This show is not going to spend not an abundance of time. This show is not going to spend any time on whether or not guys kneel, raise a clenched fist, sit down, stand up. We are not going to talk about this just absolute nightmare that the NFL has been unable to deal with in regard to how his players want to go forward with their protest of the mistreatment of minorities by their, how should we say, I don't want to say stand against, but showing their protest during the playing of the national anthem. We're not going to talk about that. Can we agree on that? I can agree with you on that. And if how about that? Somebody we've wants now it. Broken new, we've, and we're going to be the only show in America that's not going to talk. <laughs> exactly. So if you don't and want take that, pride. you and can Take come pride here. in doing it. You can come here to the new report and old report and... We'll see you back here next week. Al, it's always a pleasure. Uh, Enjoy your week, and you know I love being with you, Johnny. Take care, everybody. We'll be back next Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well, or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.